Hey everyone, welcome back to one of the Nerdy Debate podcast series. In this podcast format, we invite people who are down in the trenches and talk about various topics that are on the cutting edge of the industry. So in this podcast, you will not learn what is a backlink or how to set up your Amazon Associates account. We're going to keep that for other times. Today is going to be an advanced podcast, and we are going to talk with someone that I probably don't need to introduce anymore. It's basically the Pope of Affiliate SEO at this point, Matt Diggity. So welcome, Matt. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Welcome to the podcast, and thanks for joining. Thank you very much for having me back. Yeah, so we actually had another podcast together which was podcast number 105, if people want to listen to it. We exclusively talked about uh, affiliate SEO. So today we're going to broaden it up a bit. We're going to talk about, I mean, SEO, obviously, but like a little bit less on the affiliate side, like more general SEO. And I actually want to talk a bit about project management and how you manage your time as well, because I think you are the person that is involved in the most, like the, the largest amount of like successful businesses that I know. So I'm quite interested in the way you're doing that and talking about how we do things differently with Mark and, and how it works for you, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to share about that stuff, too. Yeah, it's like, you know, in this podcast, everyone just wants us to talk about backlinks, right? But the thing is, like, there's things that you people need, but they don't know they need or they don't want to hear about. It's kind of like the spinach your mom is trying to feed you. So I'm going to put a bit of spinach in that podcast. So hopefully it's going to help some people. But we're going to talk a little bit about SEO first, I'm just going to jump in because I see how many notes we have. And honestly, if you have to go, just let me know because it might take a while. We'll go as long as we can, right? So the first thing I want to talk about is actually on-page and content. I've categorized this thing. And I guess the first one is not exactly on-page and content, but uh, I wanted to talk about the algo updates, the core algo updates we got for basically a year now. It's like it's almost August at this point when we're recording. Lots of theories like EAT, etc. I also saw an article that didn't I see some like results that changed and uh, and they were like oh it's actually about backlinks it seems like the source the types of source of backlinks that people are getting it seems to be the correlation between like size going up size going down etc what i just wanted to know i don't want the answer from you because it's not really an easy answer, question to answer i just want to know how it's been going from you for you and what do you feel about this update like how do you deal with it yeah, sure. So I guess we'll have to take a little time machine back to August 2018 to the quote unquote medic update. So back in August, I think everything was going pretty smooth for a while. Like 2018 had a lot of updates, but they were relatively small. Nothing was like really that groundbreaking or anything like that. But when August rolled around, like that's when a whole bunch of shakeup happened. And I'm heavily into health and fitness niches right now. So we did have a little bit of turbulence there, but it was kind of like a blessing in disguise. So it allowed us to really look at our processes and and kind of determine what we felt at the time was were what these algorithm updates were all related to. And I still don't have it narrowed down further than this, but I think it has either to do with content or trust or both of them. And so when we looked at it from that perspective, we, we really just completely redesigned our whole content SOP and then really focused on like putting out or at least having as many trust signals as possible with their websites. And with trust signals, I'm talking about like authorship, GMBs, that kind of stuff. So that started to like, we, we rolled that out to all our sites. It was just kind of a shot in the dark and it's just kind of like, okay, these are the things we feel we're doing right. We've also analyzed ourselves against other huge sites like Healthline and 
you know, the wire cutters, see what they're doing. And then, uh, so, I mean, January had some updates going on and March had some updates going along too. And then everything like, it was the opposite experience for us in March. Like everything started to just go the right direction. And yeah, ever since then, like the, all these little tremors, we seem to be going the right way every time. So I have a high, high belief that it has to do, like these updates have a lot to do with with uh, content and trust. And we could d- deep like dive in deeper into like what specific aspects of those guys are later. But oh, the top five changes you made on your sites, basically, like like don't give us everything, but like five things you did that using move the needle, you know? Yeah. So I mean. With content, for sure, like the name of the game is just making it sure that the robot has no question in their mind that you're answering the query properly. So that might boil down to a few different things. And these are the things I've seen like have the biggest impact, uh, whether they be on real websites that are live or in single variable testing. But number one would be, you know, like just making sure all the subtopics that are necessary to answer the query are covered. So if I'm if my query is how to lose belly fat, like you would need to go out to the SERPs, go to like people also ask related searches, all that kind of stuff and find out, okay, how to lose belly fat. I need to talk about eating plenty of fiber. I need to talk about avoiding trans fats. I need to talk about exercise, like making sure your H2s and your H3s, your subsections are covering those topics is super important. On top of that, for sure, like I'm a high big believer of putting the words on the page that the other people on page one have on there. So whether you think that's TFIDF or prominent words, the surfer likes to call it, like I don't I don't really care about these voc- vocabulary debates, but I do believe that making it easier for the robot to see, like, yes, this guy's a lawyer trying to rank for lawyer stuff. He needs to have the word judge on the page. Like that just makes sense to me. And in practice it works. And I'll give you one more. Let's see. So at least with regards to content, so like really serving up answers to the queries in NLP-friendly format. So like NLP, natural language processing. So echoing the query back, like the best time to, uh, this is maybe a little bit too personal, but me, this is a little too personal, but me and my wife, are we're trying to like have kids right now. So maybe the query is, uh, what is the best time to uh, get your wife pregnant? So you would need to echo that back. The best time to get someone pregnant is da 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 da, and then days. Like so, that would be the unit. So that whole answer is very like NLP friendly. It's easy for the robot to see you at least attempted to answer it. So those guys are like that's the gist of it with the content. Yeah, you kind of like spoiled my ending for the podcast actually by doing that because like my, my ending for this podcast was going to be, oh, first check my SEO, you engaged. Second check my SEO, you got, you got married. I was like, is she going to be pregnant for the third year so you can have an announcement for the crowd? Oh. Now you just ruined my ending. So I need to figure something else. I'm pissed off. I'm leaving. See you. I'll do some more <laughs> rambling and then you can zone out and like try to think of a new joke. I'll try to set something up for you too. <laughs> no worries. Cool. That, apart from that, that was very interesting. And I know that you're the one that actually showed me Surfer SEO, which is uh, an on-page optimization tool that basically grabs all the stats from the top ranking pages and essentially feeds it back to you in a way that's digestible. And there's a lot of on-page tools these days. It's kind of a trend. But you showed it to me and I like the interface a lot and made it easy for us to use, like for the team to use, etc. I wanted to ask you how, how you're using it essentially practically because a lot of the things you mentioned you tend to do with that tool right yeah yeah for sure so 
Yeah, out of all the on-page optimizers right now, so like we got POP, we got Website Auditor, we got Quora. I'm using Surfer right now for the same reason you mentioned, just simply because it's it's UI is like really usable, and you know, like we can we can give a lot of these tasks to some of our like lower trained SEOs um, to do the repetitive stuff, and we don't need a highly like super trained SEO to like analyze some of the real complicated data that some of the other tools. Basically, like Cora gives you amazing data, but like it's really hard to read. And we actually did a review on Sofa and we mentioned that we're like, okay, the best data is probably Cora. But realistically, like very few people have time to actually go through it and apply what you get. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, so I mean, Surfer, the, we're using it in a couple of different ways right now. Like right at the bat, before we write a piece of content, we'll run an analysis and just to pick out, you know, what are the basics of the search result? So what's the word count I should target? And we'll look at, you know, like, you know, how many paragraph elements, that kind of stuff to just get some guidance to the writer. But what we're playing around right now is like maybe just even completely cutting out the keyword research process and the TFIDF process and then just giving them the content editor and say, hey, writers, like write in this thing. It's going to tell you like how many times to use each word. So we have to test everything. Like, so we're testing that right now. We have to make sure it gets a superior result to our existing process. But that's something I'm playing around with too. But another way to use it, Surfer SEO is like just for periodic cleanup. So like just because I go out and write an article on something today, you know, the, the SERPs change and the entire game of SEO is trying to one-up each other. So like when I wrote the article today, I looked at the guys in positions one through five and I tried to beat them. So guess what happens, you know, three or four months later, so people are doing that to me and the SERPs change, that kind of stuff. So I have it in our process to, you know, like at least once every three months to go to each page, especially if it's dropped in rankings and run surfer and just make sure like, are we correlating? Do we have like the right elements on the page? That kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree. And I think also, I mean, I see that especially for like our content is like three years old or more, you know, like on some sites we have like fairly old content. And it's like the SERPs are like completely new. And some keywords that I actually deemed rel- like interesting before, they seem like no-goes now. I'll give some examples for Tori Hacker because everyone knows that site. But like a best keyword research tool, for example, like literally everyone's on that on that keyword now. It used to be a very easy keyword. It's extremely difficult now. You got, you know, Ahrefs on it. You got Backlinko on it. You got, I think Robbie Richard has a really good article on this as well. I used to like, literally, we used to be alone as well. I think we ranked for Make Money Blogging as well. I think we were number one for a while. And, and it's like, same. Like, and it's funny thing with this article, actually. It's like, I could see the way the algo changed quite a lot in the sense that before it seemed like link metrics were pretty much dominating every other ranking factor for that query. Like, so we had a lot of links. We had an article that, you know, did a roundup of all the income reports from all these bloggers and, you know, did some pretty cool math on like how much you can, how much money you can actually make blogging. But the truth is, when you Google the query now, how to make money blogging is just a list of like monetization methods, basically. And it's funny because we had that really good article that collected hundreds of links. And then I was like, and then uh, I think three months ago, it was like on page three. And I was like, fuck this. Let's just rewrite exactly what's on page one and see what happens. And nothing else changed. We got no more links to the articles. We got nothing else. We just literally just replaced all the content on the page from scratch. And now it's actually back on bottom of page one. I mean, I'm saying that now, and of course, it's going to drop after I say it. So <laughs> I'm going to say that if you're looking at it now, it might be moving a bit. But like, it's basically been jumping up two pages just by putting the, um, 
the content that Google wants. And it's just like it's way more generic and to my to my opinion, a lot less interesting, which is really sad about the way Google works these days. But it seems like this relevancy factor and like what Google wants to see on the page feels a lot more dominant today that it was even two or three years ago where it was mostly links. I don't know how you feel about this. Yeah, dude, absolutely. So, I mean, even, okay, so something happened maybe one or two days ago, like in the SERPs, and one of my sites just got completely butchered in traffic. We checked traffic and we're looking at like, I don't know, maybe maybe we have about 60% of the existing traffic we had two days ago. And I'm looking at the keywords that dropped and it's just like, we just got completely nuked on all, all our e-commerce keywords that we were magically ranking for that we had no business ranking for. So it's like, let's say for example, like we were we were ranking for fish oil. We completely lost that, but now we're still number one for best fish oil. So it's like, okay, they just put ourselves in our place. But, you know, like even I was, so I, I went down the rabbit hole. I was like, okay, did, I, did any other sites get affected? And I checked out diggitymarketing.com and like, I think I was like number one for SEO acronyms or something like that, or maybe, no, 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 SEO interview questions. And so like, okay, so someone jumped in the first place and I can just see like all their changes was they just have this little piece of text underneath each question that says ANS answered. So let's see what happens. I'm going to have my content guy write that little word in there after each question and we'll see if it jumps back to first. Yeah, I think it's funny, but it really feels like we're kind of like back like 10 years ago in SEO where like keyword density and all these things are taking a lot more prominence than they used to, yeah, just three, four years ago when it was basically all links. Like if you could get links, you could rank for anything with any page, basically. And it's funny that you say what you're saying because it's something that I've noticed as well in the last updates where I just tend to see most pages rank for less keywords in general. I see like, you know, you had a lot of keywords that were ranking. They were not necessarily getting traffic. They were page three, four, five, but the amount of keywords that you would see in like Ahrefs or SEMrush that a page would rank for has drastically been cut down in the last, especially in the last two, three refreshes of this core algo update. Uh, and most sites I look at in Ahrefs, for example, I see, you know, the, the organic traffic might be stable or even increasing, but the amount of keywords they're ranking for unless they're actively pushing a lot of new content, which increases the amount of keywords they rank for, is decreasing for pretty much every single site I've, I've audited that does SEO properly. Yeah, I see the same too. And it, like going back to that fish oil example, right? Like, whereas you might have a page before that would just be like, you have a best fish oil page and it would probably rank for best fish oil for women, best fish oil for men. Now, like you need to have that specific page if you want to rank for that thing. It's like a huge debate, right? So like, should I be the person that goes for like the hardest keyword possible? I'll just try to rank for fish oil, even though my site might not be at the right authority to go for that kind of keyword. Or do I go for these, you know, like mini keywords, best fish oil for men, best fish oil for women. But then eventually when I want to rank, like rank for the, the main keyword, best fish oil, like now I got all these problems on my hands, like potential keyword cannibalization and all this. It's a big mess and it's, it's a serious decision you got to make. It's really, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a question that I'm always banging my head on the wall for these days. I'm, I'm actually starting to take a new approach to this. So um, we've been known for producing like really long content. And, but to be honest, you know, when I was looking at user metrics and analytics, 
adding a thousand words of content once you have five thousand words literally decreases the time on page and user metrics, like increased bounce rate, etc. So I was like, well, you know, Google probably just wants to go for what the user wants, even though you know that's questionable. But like the long-term approach should probably be that. And so we also did this 1.1 million correlation analysis, 1.1 million search results, where we just try to look at what correlates with high rankings. And uh, one of the results that surprised me is the average word count of top ranking results. I think uh, I, I remember distinctively because that's a funny number, but I think the number one result was uh, averaging 1,337 words or something, which seems to be much shorter than it used to be even a couple of years ago. It feels like Google is kind of like rolling back on, on really long content as well. And we're going to have more data coming on that, by the way. I'm going to tease that on this podcast, but we're talking with Surface SEO right now so that they give, you, give us a bunch of data before and after a bunch of algo updates so we can actually check what happened, you know? That might be coming up, like, you know, might take a few weeks. We're still waiting on some data, et cetera, but, um, but it's, it's something that we have in the pipes, basically. But so the way I'm approaching this now, uh, I guess, and it has to do a lot with site structure, is I'm building a page on that core keyword, let's say Fisher, right? And every time Fisher is mentioned on the site, I will link to that, that core page, like that main page on Fisher. And essentially, that main page of Fisher just becomes an index of subpages for the other one. So best Fisher for women, best Fisher for kids, best Fisher for your dog, whatever you want. And then you just write a short paragraph, like let's say an H2. You write a short paragraph, and then you just make a very prominent link under. It's like, check, learn more about best Fisher for women, for example. It links out to that page. But that page only gets a link from the official page, you know, not from nowhere else in the site. And then when you can, like, put links on your homepage to that official page, put links in your navigation to that official page to really give it more prominence. I don't want to share results yet because it's been, like, this approach has been a bit too recent to really, like, give any conclusions. And I don't want people to, like, take this as gospel or anything. But that's the approach I'm taking to this right now. But I don't know what you think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we've been doing that for a while. Like, basically... We moved into a mode where most of the time we're just buying sites. Like I like to work on sites that are out of the sandbox, but if I were to build one from scratch, I would definitely build it like that. Like that's our SOP. But a lot of times we're just buying sites that have random architecture. Hold on for dear life and see what we can do. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I'm like not super interested in, in buying sites. Is usually I look at the sites, I'm like, oh, this is a, this is a mess. I hate this. And then I'm like, I can do it better myself. And I kind of like bite the bullet and like wait the eight months or whatever for the site to actually get some action. But uh, one thing that we do as well is we pre-buy domains. So like when we do niche research to start new sites, we have like, you know, a list of like 10 niches, but we actually end up buying domains in every single niche. And like you put like three text broker articles on it and you just let it age, you know? And it's like whenever you're going to pick up a new site, well, you have this whole park of domains that have been aging and have been indexed for a while. Uh, you can just like scrub them and build them properly, you know? Yeah, we, we call it icing domains. Of, it's not even funny how many crypto and Bitcoin domains I have not doing anything at all. Yeah, exactly. But like, at least you have a pool. Like you want to start a new project, you just pick it up. And it's like, I'm not saying there would be no sandbox. I'm saying it's going to be much shorter, you know? I had a question I wanted to ask you based on uh, something that you said on a Facebook group. So I can't remember which one, but one of the Facebook groups you're in and someone was like, oh, once you're at the boilerplate level of authority for your site, which one do you scale, links or content? And your answer was just like content. And I wanted you to develop a little bit more on that. Yeah, sure. So when we're in a authority level, like I, I call it authority mode, but I would say the key characteristic to define like what does that mean when you're in authority is when you start to publish new pieces of content and they're just starting to insta rank. Like 
you you index them and they're on page one or maybe at the top of page two, something like that. That that's when Google like really likes you for a certain piece of topic or for a certain you know theme or for a certain topic or niche whatever. So if you had to choose one thing to focus on, I would say if you had limited resource, go into content because like that's where you're going to get the most leverage. If you backlink, you know the, the authority is already there. Like you already built a bunch of links. That's why you're getting those instant rankings. So double down on the content you're putting out and you'll have more and more and more pieces and landing pages that are getting on page one. That said, like I would never just say like, okay, we're going 99% content, no backlinks for three months. You know, like it would never be like that for sure. Content would be the focus. And, and that's also uh, something I would note is like before I'm in authority status, I'm also like I've devalued the, uh, the the importance of content, and I'm not I'm not going as fast as possible. Where after I'm in authority mode, like everyone, all my writers, like you're on notification, everyone's working overtime. We're gonna go crazy. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when we when we like low authority on site, we almost do the this case scraper pieces only. It's kind of a nice trick because if your site is only like super high valuable content as well, you you actually get more links. Like if you have no commercial stuff, not trying to sell anything, no heavy call to actions. You're just here to build links and build your authority, then you can make a very clean site and people tend to like linking to these small. So basically what you're saying is it's a dial that you slowly, like you're like basically 100% links, but let's not say that. Let's say 90% links, 10% content at the beginning. And then as you gain links, you kind of like turn the dials where you like reduce link power or at least just keep it same and just slowly increase the dial on content as pieces of content start ranking when you just published it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Linking doesn't slow down, but the content goes from intermediate mode to buck wild. Sure. Like, I, I mean, when you say buck wild, like how much content do you produce on a site where you're like, okay, it's in authority mode now? Like what on this average affiliate site, like how many pieces of months would you say you output? Uh, so as fast as possible. So typically for each authority site, we'll have probably two or three writers. And let's see, So typically three to, f- to seven pieces a week per site. So it could be you know, like 12 to twelve to 20 pieces, something like that. Okay. I guess it varies a lot depending on keyword research as well. I mean, I don't know if you produce your content the same way, but usually when we produce content, we produce like the whole hub of content, like the whole sub-silo, whatever we work on. And we just order the whole thing at once and just output as fast as possible on that sub-silo and just jump on the next one after that or something. Yeah, most of the time, yeah. And we're, we're doing stuff like we're testing the waters. So like if it's a new silo we've never talked about, like, Going back to the fish oil site, like maybe we haven't talked about you know multivitamins so far, so we'll test it with the single article, and if it bites, like if that that page indexes in in the top ten, like okay, it's time to focus on multivitamins for now, and we'll we'll do like you do, but we don't queue it up, we won't like launch them all at the same time, and we'll just kind of like as soon as they're done, they go up. Yeah, we do that too. The site we sold in January, like I remember, I was working on it only like half a day a week or something. And basically, like, they would just draft all the posts. And then on Friday, after we had published, like, 25 posts or something and just, like, review everything and just publish, like, a, a, a ton of stuff at once, and it's fine. I don't say I don't believe in dripping content that much. If you're just purely playing the SEO game, just publish it as soon as it's ready. Yeah, yeah. I kind of feel like, like, this is just theory stuff, but in the realm of SEO, I think when it comes to white hat versus black hat SEO, like that's all link based. Like anything you do on your own website on the on-site SEO, that's all white hat. Like it's yours. You're not manipulating anything. You're just it's all your stuff. Except if you're unless like, you have sneaky directs or shit like that, you know, like our doorway pages or whatever. 
<laughs> you can still do black hat on your site, but it's in this community, it's not what people do usually. And I think that's why these core content updates have been affecting everyone across the spectrum, whether you buy links or you build links white hat, you know, because it, it was on page. Like, I think that's a good sign of, uh, of that, actually. Yeah, yeah. But to go back to that, you, you did mention there's an article recently, like, uh, I think it was judging the, the June update posted by Eric Luncheris. Luncheris, sorry if I'm butchering your name, brother. But that did seem to support that it had a lot to do with backlinks and like link authority and stuff like that. And when I analyzed my portfolio, I saw like the sites that went up, the ones that went up the most were the ones that did have an authority advantage against other people in the niche. But that's just my eight site portfolio that I'm working on right now. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not enough to say it's hands down, but it does seem logical and it could be true. Yeah, I mean, I personally don't believe very much in the EAT stuff in the sense that Google will like understand that you're a doctor and like check that you have a PhD and all of that. I just don't realistically think that's like very doable from a, from a robot. But from link sources, it's a lot more likely, you know? So, 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 you know, the outcome might be the same, but the way they reach it is diff- it might be different, you know? But to go back to writers, because that was the next question I wanted to ask. What do you hire writers? Like, how do you build your editorial teams? Because uh, usually you talk a lot about links, but like when you say content, you just say, oh, my writers produce content, but we have no idea how you do that. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So there's a few different places I'm getting writers from. Number one is I'm not using any agency service. So I'm not using uh, like content providers or any stuff like that. So I'm always getting like single writers for each website, usually depending on how crazy the website's going, between one and three uh, writers for a single website. And typically, I like to get at least one boy and one girl um, to cover the different sides of things. Like I said, we're in health niche, so there's girl topics and boy topics, that kind of stuff. Where am I getting them from? Uh, Upwork, obviously, I'm not doing the hiring myself. I don't even know what it's called anymore. Sometimes Upwork, but the main sources where I'm getting them from is from Facebook groups. So the main one I'm getting writers from is Cult of Copy, where it's just a Facebook group. People are writers in there. I will make a post, you know, like, there are any wine lovers in here? We got a website about wine. I prefer if you have some experience with making wine in the past, send me some of your, you know, previous work and we'll, we'll take it from there kind of thing. So I want people that are really into the niche that have some experience with it. And then I'm going to sign them to that niche and they're like going to get real good at it. They're going to write all the content for that. They're going to get real good. And they'll also have a certain authorship on the website. So that was that EAT, whether it's a real thing or not, will start to build over time for this particular author. One more place that I've been looking for writers would be, you know, like expat related or expat centric Facebook groups, you know, like there's Chiang Mai digital nomads and there's Chiang Mai writers where it's just people, you know, they're, they're writers, they got skill and stuff and they live in Chiang Mai and uh, they have awesome English. So again, same concept. You're, you're finding someone who's solid at it and we got a pretty dope process for weeding them out. Here's a quick trick. So have a quiz in your post on your Facebook post, you know, where you're posting is, Hey, looking for writers, have them take a quiz and you can create a quiz with, you know, like, with Google, or you can use Typeform, like all these different types of quiz type things. In the quiz, you want to have two questions. One of them would be, how's your English on a scale of one to 10? Seven or higher means that it's passable for this job. And how's your experience with blah, 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 your niche? Seven or higher is, is, is good for the job. So 
when you do that, you're encouraging people to answer honestly, but I'm really only going to take the nines and above. So I want excellent English speakers. I want people that really know the niche. It really filters out. I would say it filters out 80% of the junk. Yeah, most people over, overvalue their, their skills as well. Um, we, we, we test people on uh, office knowledge as well. Because like everyone's like, oh, I know Excel, or I know all this stuff, and we're like, okay, please do a pivot table to like analyze whatever design stats or whatever, and you know, nine out of ten people fail, and then that's when we know to test them for the other stuff they claim, basically. So <laughs> we have we have these things. How do you organize the production once you have these writers? Like, do you use any kind of project management software? Does someone else organize that? Like, how does it work once you have these people on board? Yeah, so typically, like, each website has an SEO manager that's working on that website that's responsible for the rankings, the content, everything. It's just like the overseer on this particular project. So that SEO manager, it's up to them, like, whatever they want to use. Some, t- some people use Asana, some use Trello. Um, but I think the, the current managers are just using you know, Zoho and some kind of sheet system to kind of communicate with, with people. But yeah, that's what it boils down to. Like, honestly, I, I don't have that much success with the asanas and trellos and slacks and all that stuff. It just doesn't work that well f- in my companies, but a lot of people get a lot of value out of it. They're just just not me. Okay, fair enough. We actually use Asana now, um, but we use the Asana Premium, so we have all the custom fields for everything. So you can put like word count, you can do all the content types, etc. And uh, I'll make some videos. I'll show people. It's going to be easier than podcast. Let's jump on to links because people want to hear about links. They don't care about hiring writers, etc. They just want to build links to their sites. I see there's going to be a lot of eyes rolling now because I'm teasing the links, but actually I'm going to talk about social media at first. And like now everyone's eyes are going to roll and they're going to skip two minutes ahead or something. So go ahead. But what I wanted to say is like, uh, you were one of the first person that was like, oh, before you build a lot of links to your site, you should build what you call your social media fortress and like a social signal fortress. And essentially you get a bunch of social signals to your content because, you know, content gets viral, then it gets links. And it's kind of like the natural pattern that uh, is going to make all this stuff look natural. Then we did this analysis on the headline. We did a headline post with data. And actually we found that uh, social shares after backlinks are the highest correlating factor with organic traffic and backlinks. We also have a site that uh, used to only be marketed on Pinterest. Literally only Pinterest didn't care about SEO. Thin content really like most pages have like three, 400 words of content. Uh, it's mostly like one image, one sentence, one image, one sentence, etc. Long story short, this site now has 900 plus linky root domains and has more than half of its traffic coming from Google, despite the fact that we didn't try and honestly the pages they're not really made for SEO. So I know you talked about this concept of social fortress, but I'd like to like expand a bit on that and kind of like understand what place it takes in your process and like how important it is, basically. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Interesting too, because I just kicked off another round of social signal testing right now and should get some results. Probably, no, we'll let it we'll let it percolate for like a month or two and we'll see how it goes. But yeah, so here's how social falls into my uh, SEO plan. So basically, when I first build a website, like the first links that that website's going to get are the links from its Facebook page, its Twitter page, its LinkedIn, all these no-follow, sometimes I do follow in rare cases, links that should be the first links that a new established real business would get. And this boils down to trust signals and you know, like this EAT type stuff, whether you believe it or not. Like I agree with you, Gail. Like There's no way 
They're going to go cross-correlate. You know, this is the writer, Janet Smith, who wrote this article on protein powder. Like, she says she's a PhD. Okay, where'd she go to school? How good were her professors? Like, they don't have the computation power that's easily dupable, all that kind of stuff. So the, the way I like to look at trust and all that stuff is that Google can't figure out the extent to whether the stuff is valid, but they can definitely figure out when stuff is missing. So like when you don't have an authorship or you don't have a Facebook page or you don't have a YouTube. So that's what I'm doing. It's like bare minimums kind of things. So then after that, right? So as you alluded to, like if we think about things from a very theoretical perspective, you know, like links are a really rare thing in the real world. Like Let's just think about this. Let's imagine you have a friend in Budapest and he's like, he's not like an SEO dude. He's just a normal, not, not, not saying like, yeah, he's a normal person that isn't like a complete freak on the internet. Okay. So this normal dude, he decides to open a coffee shop, right? So let's say he gets a website built and you, you know, help, you're helping him rank and stuff like that, whatever. How often do you think this guy would link out to other businesses during the course of the year? Like, you know, like maybe he doesn't even know his WordPress password. Like he doesn't know how to log in. Yeah, that's, that's usually how it works when you have a coffee shop. Right, right. So links are really rare in the real world. But so it's, it's kind of a weird thing to think about. Like a site would be getting 20 backlinks per month, but it has zero social activity, like zero shares, zero engagement, like not even a Facebook page. So that's the whole concept going along here. And then these are what I call like self-social signals. Like I'm building my own Facebook page and I'm, I'm posting on it, which is sending a signal back to the website that, you know, things are getting shared, but that's not really what's valuable. The valuable ones is when you have other people that are sharing your stuff on Facebook. So third-party social signals. So I did some testing like way back in the day, like I'm talking 2015 where I, I did a lot of single variable testing and I found that social signals by themselves didn't push rankings. Like it wouldn't increase rankings to pages and that were stable and flat and had no other variables affecting it. That makes sense too, because like why would Google put faith into potentially one of their biggest competitors' social signals for their own ranking algorithm? Okay, that's fine. But what I did find is like when a page had a lot of links and that then that page didn't have many social signals, then sending a blast to that page was kind of like enabling the existing links that were sitting on there. Now, in a long time, 2015, I haven't tested it for a while, but I just kicked off a test last week. So we're, we're taking various pieces of stagnant content. Some are on test pages, some are on real live pages, and they're just kind of been flat for a while. Probably got about 25 to 30 different pages we're testing this on. And then on half of them, we're going to be sending, you know, like some of the uh, service provider social signals at each of those. And then on the other half, we're going to be getting like a real micro workers campaign and telling people like, okay, go take this link, share it on your Facebook page. Your Facebook must have at least 100 friends and send us the output. So it's like comparing these factory generated social signals versus real actual social signals. And we'll see how it works for 2019. Cool. That's going to be quite interesting, actually. I, yeah, it's. I was going to say there's social signal and social signal. Like you can buy $5 social signals on Fiverr. They're all going to be bot accounts. Or you can get like real people doing that. You know, it's like uh, something that most SEOs will ignore. But engagement as uh, on Facebook are really cheap, you know? Like you can get, I get like less than five cents engagements, you know? Especially if you put, uh, just put a retargeting pixel on your site. And just do social engagement campaigns to your retargeting audience. 
and you can get extremely cheap engagements. I have like I have no idea how much these cost when you buy them from service providers. Like how much does that cost, more or less? That's like fourteen bucks for two hundred signals. Okay, so. It's a bit cheaper, but it, I mean, provided not every campaign is going to be five cents per signal, but like, you know, it's less, it's still like less than double if you do it in an okay way, if you have a decent tight uh, headline and if you have a decent image, then it's less than double, but like you're, you're sure you get real people. So I'm quite interested in your results because actually it might end up being that buying Facebook ads is probably the, the cleanest way of doing this. And if you want to like stay super clean, I think it's probably the best way. So cool. That's actually an interesting one. So your social strategy is purely for links. Like it's just purely to enable links. You don't do anything else with social, right? Oh, well, on Diggity Marketing, which is like more like a real business, I'm doing like what you do. Like after I push push something out, there's like a five-day engagement campaign just for shits and giggles. Okay, cool. Did you notice anything different from doing this? Or are you like, it's all the same, it's all social signals? It's too hard. There's too much noise on Diggity Marketing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's hard to tell. Cool. So now we're actually going to jump into something that we talked about with Karu. So we have in this series, we talk with Karu, who is also going to talk in Chiang Mai SEO this year. And I've seen his presentation. It's really, really good, actually. I really, it changed a lot of the way the things I did in SEO this year for OnPage. I think he was podcast 141. Yeah, 141. So if you want to go listen to that, you can get some context of what we're going to talk about today. But I, I know you listened to this podcast and you were like, oh, I've tried this, I've tried this, I want to say something. So we're going to go back on, on some of these things. And uh, I now want to hear your opinion on this. And one of the first questions I asked Carol was, how important is link relevance? I.e., should the page topic where you get a link from be similar or close enough to the page topic that, of the page you're linking to? And does it have a difference if the page has nothing to do with what you're talking about on your page or if it's really related in terms of ranking results? So uh, what do you have to say on this? Yeah, so, so what I find is like you should probably get a bonus if it's like a highly related article. So for example, a lot of people are requesting, at least when I'm building links for them as authority builders, you know, to put the keywords in the titles because they believe that that's you know an, an extra indicator. On the opposite side of things, like I don't think it's completely required at all. Like for example, I got one site ranking in a pretty spammy weight loss niche, and it's been ranking for a long time. You've probably heard it before if you've if you ever heard of Doctor Oz, and you've heard about weight loss pills, like you know what niche I'm talking about. But this site is completely ranking with links from Wayback Restorations on PBNs. And so that content has nothing to do with dieting or pills or anything. It's just about the surrounding text around the link is, re- is related. So I think on an overall scheme, like you'll probably get a bonus if the website you're getting a link from is within niche and the article. But I don't think it's a requirement. I think the, the real requirement focuses on the actual text around the link. Yeah, maybe the page as well. So like you could do a guess. Like I think that's how you get relevance from a site like the New York Times, for example. Because the New York Times was the topic. Like it's just a newspaper. But what builds context, I guess, is what the actual page is about. And I guess I guess that can give you some relevance here on that. But there's another thing that you're kind of like pushing people on. It's uh, links from pages with actual organic traffic, so pages that rank in Google. And it's something that you've been really pushing. And I remember... Tim from Ahrefs talked quite a lot about it in his presentation in Chiang Mai SEO last year. Basically, he talked for like 10 minutes and then he was like, I don't know if it matters or not. So uh, I was like, okay, great. 
So I want to hear it from you. I want to hear like basically what you think and what makes you think what you think. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, t Tim said, and they did a study that they they did exact, exactly like studies that you do. They try to correlate high-ranking positions with the number of links that they have with from sites with traffic, that kind of stuff. And he said that the correlation is really low and it, it was noisy, if anything. And yeah, that that's perfectly fine. I, I don't know whether that's true or not, but in my experience, so like I have this SOP at Authority Builders. So like whenever people build new links, we toss them into a rank tracker. And we just track to see like how are these guys doing with their first links that they built. And before we decided to completely prune our inventory and only focus on links from sites with traffic, that consistency of getting a positive ranking result was you know, like, let's say it was around 60%, something like that. Now, once we started to change that and we switched over to, you know, we're only having links from sites with traffic, the consistency of that really, really skyrocketed. And what I think that boils down to is basically Google has said themselves, they're ignoring a lot of links. Now, probably an easy criteria on whether you should be an ignorable link or not is whether Google ranks you. Because if we think about things like Google's stingy as heck, when they're with their rankings, right? Only 9% of the internet has traffic. So if they like a website enough to rank it, then of course they're okay with its backlinks. And that, that's why, what I think is going on here. Yeah, it's like pushing it to the extreme, basically. It's like you, you get Google, an idea of Google's vetting system by the amount of traffic they send to a page. Yeah, it's like the ultimate way to, to vet a link, right? We can look at metrics, we can look at DR, we can look at all this stuff, trust flow versus citation flow. But does the damn thing rank? Because that's a pretty hard thing to do. So you're looking at the traffic of the site or the traffic of the page that gets the link? Traffic of the site. Yeah, traffic of the page is a pretty rare thing to pull off, especially with the new link, right? Exactly. With a new guest post, I guess it's kind of difficult. Before Skyscraper, we could probably do that. You wanted to talk about anchor text as well. We actually have a big post on anchor text coming out. I'm not going to spoil anything, but there's, I mean, it confirms a lot of things people were thinking about and just shows a few inter other interesting things. But uh, I wanted to talk internal linking anchor text versus external linking anchor text. So kind of the consensus is with external links anchor text, you need to be quite careful, especially since uh, like Penguin, et cetera, it seems to have focused a lot on penalizing sites that optimize the anchor text a lot. So a lot of people tend to be a lot more varied in the anchor text they use, tend to link more to like their homepage, et cetera. So I wanted to understand how you do that for your external links. And in a sense, a lot of people, what they, what they do is they use their internal links anchor text to push more relevancy through anchor text because it seems like Google is more lenient and doesn't penalize sites that are over-optimized as much in terms of internal anchor text. So what's your take on that? Sure. Okay, so let's talk about external anchor text first. The same same uh, SOP with when I used to run Diggity Links, my PBN uh, link service, uh, now known as Rank Club. So when I used to run that, I used to use that same SOP. Like when someone made their first order, I'm going to toss them in a rank tracker. I'm going to see how they do. And the likelihood that they get a positive result is night and day when they include some form of the keyword in their anchor text. So it's like definitely a ranking factor, definitely a very big one. But the, the problem is you just can't simply send all target anchor text all the time. That's how you get a penguin penalty. There's that. Um, with internal anchors, so basically here, here's a story. So 2014-ish, sometime around there, I'm an Amazon affiliate, doing pretty good. I'm in the ergonomic chair niche and I'm like, I think I'm ranked like number five for best ergonomic chair. And so I decide it's like right before Christmas, I'm like, 
I'm going to review every single damn ergonomic chair out there. And I'm going to link all these guys back to my main ergonomic chair page with the keyword uh, with anchor text, best ergonomic chairs. I'm going to establish all that topical relevance. I'm going to be number one right before the holidays. Did all, wrote all 20 of those things, um, put them up there and then tanked like right before the holidays. Eventually figured it out. I was like, maybe I just like, there's some kind of external internal anchor text diversity that's kind of combined somehow. I varied them up and then sure enough, right after the holiday season and popped back up to, to like third or fourth. So yeah, I mean, which, which is raging happens. It happened to us a few times as well. Like we're like, oh, just before a big period and just try to do well and just literally kill your, your profit. Fail. Yeah. So <laughs> I like built in this hardcore conservatism into my internal anchor text process where it's been like 50% target anchors, 25% miscellaneous, like click here, or return to home page, and then 25% like brand or URL, something like that. So this, this test recently concluded a couple of weeks ago. We tried playing around with going like 80-20, so 80% target anchor text and 20% miscellaneous, and then also 100% target anchor text. They weren't, they weren't exact every single time like I was doing before, but they're very, so ergonomic chairs, great ergonomic chairs, awesome ergonomic chairs, that kind of stuff. And we found that when you go 80-20, you're going to get a 10% better result than just the super conservative. When you go 100%, you're going to get about 15% result. That's better than the baseline. So it was was so marginal to the point, like I'm not going to go 100% and risk anything. So I'm just going with the 80-20 and going a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, so it seems like the way way it works is basically Encotex is always, like exact Encotex or close enough Encotex is always a factor of like better relevance for that keyword. However, there's a breaking point. And once you reach it, you just get destroyed, basically. And you know, one thing that uh, we saw that we couldn't really develop too much yet in these uh, statistical analysis we're doing is, is that we found that the top of page two in Google rankings is a very special place. It's a place where most metrics of ranking from 11 to 14, 15 correlate massively to the, the metrics of ranking like one to four for the same query, way more than like, say, ranking five to 10, you know? And um, we haven't explored this. So again, this is speculation. Don't take this as gospel. I'm just uh, trying to be very clear on this. But it seems like basically this place, this place in the subs is where Google just puts all these people that just pass that breaking point on any kind of metric where they just penalize for of optimization, you know? One day we might do that, actually. But I, I mean, I'm sure if you look at some of your sites, you will see many, many keywords that like you're like, oh, I did all the SEO, etc. And you're like number 11, 12, 13. And, uh, and you're like, what's going on? You know, I mean, for us, it happens a lot. And that's what kind of like got us to look into that. And it really does feel like it's kind of like the graveyard of over-optimizers, like position 11 to 15, you know? So maybe one day we do a study on like the first ever study on page two of Google. But, it's also like a rite of passage position too. Like when you're on the way up, like everything has a, like a certain... I'm always a certain time on page two, a certain time on page three, but there's an extremely long amount of time at the top of page two. And anyone who does enough SEOs knows what we're talking about, like that purgatory, yeah. Yeah, it does, it does feel like some, like kind of just a different space that obeys different laws of physics, you know, kind of. And it's like Google just like reserved that space for SEOs that like don't deserve yet to be on page one and all have over optimized, you know. But again, like we should look at a little bit more detail at some point. The problem is like when we do these kind of studies, like 
will literally, apart from social traffic, like there, there will never ever be search volume for like page two of Google. So we're doing like pro bono work at this point when we do this. Another thing I wanted to talk about that is an interesting concept that I think people are quite interested in is a link echo, which is essentially the principle of having a link pointing to your site, but then you remove the link, yet that link still affects your rankings. And one place where I've seen this a lot is, um, so I've talked, we did a podcast, it's released today, so you haven't listened to it yet, sorry, Matt. But Mark and I did a podcast on like uh, why Google's paid, no paid link policy is bullshit. Essentially, I talked to a lot of people who uh, got unnatural link penalties where they had to disable a bunch of links to get their rankings back through um, Search Console. And I was like, okay, like uh, you got your penalty removed. How much of your traffic did you get back? And a lot of people, despite the fact that they disabled a, a, a ton of links, are like, oh, I just got all of my traffic back two weeks later, which is one of the reasons why I'm like, it makes no sense. And so that is Linkico. That is like, you got links that boosted your rankings. You remove the links, you're still ranking. I want to know what your experience is with that. Do you think it's real? And if you're using it's real, like, how long do you think it lasts? Is it forever? Is it for a certain period of time or anything like that? Yeah, I had, I had a lot of experience with this, namely because, you know, like, I, I have some gray hat SEO skills under my belt, and that means I control backlinks. <laughs> I, can, I can play around with my own backlinks that I control and mess around with this kind of stuff. So for another, like, a test case example, exactly what you're talking about, like, the first in knock on wood, only other only a natural links penalty I ever had was like for a website that had PBN links going to it. This is like, I don't know, three years ago, something like that. Did something, over-optimized the anchors, got a manual review. And so then at that point in time, I was just like, okay, I'm stuck. Like I can't remove these the or I can't disavow these backlinks or my PBNs or assets. What what should I do? Should I just remove them all? And then Google will see like, damn, like you obviously control all these if they all just fell off in one day. But that was the only thing I could do. So I removed them all. Of course, they, the reconsideration request came back positive because there's no links going to the site. So then when that happened, the, all the traffic was completely back like perfectly. Like It's like nothing happened. So that must be Link Echo. So I just decided, well, let's give it a shot. And I just put all the same links back that it had before and everything was perfectly fine. <laughs> Yeah, that was reasonable. So, yeah, I mean, and then there's been some cases in with niches like that, you know, like they were a fad, like a fad weight loss pill, like we keep talking about over and over, that the fad has expired. And so, like, there's no need to have a website anymore. So I just would, for the curiosity's sake, I'll just pull all the links going to that website and seeing how long it would go for. And it's gone for up to eight months at a time. Now, what I've seen from doing this maybe four or five times is that the length of this link echo will last for basically like some kind of correlation with how long those links were live in the first place. So if you had a link that was only there for a couple of days, you're not going to get an eight month link echo. And that's just to probably combat this whole idea like, okay, I'll just use a link to send to this page, remove it, send to that page. And like, there's no way... Let me just explain very clearly to the audience. Basically, the idea I talked about with Kyle was like, oh, if LinkEcho exists, what if I link to a page, get the page indexed, get a, a ranking boost, then remove that link, link to another page, get a ranking boost, and essentially boost 10 pages with just one single link that I just replace all the time because it, it's echoing. But what you're saying is essentially it's not going to work. Right? Yeah. yeah, they need to be up for a while. So like that whole idea doesn't really work. 
Okay, well, that was the article, but like interesting. Definitely a little bit outside of the realm of what we teach people anyway, so it's okay. <laughs> but I, it's like, it's one of these things. It's like, let's take a second to talk about that because people are like, oh, you're talking about gray hat and stuff. I think you need to be aware of everything that's happening in the industry because it's happening anyway, whether you're for or against it. And so understanding these things, theory crafting about these things, et cetera, is the key to having a deep understanding of how search engines work. And uh, some of the best SEOs I've met, like I think I'm seeing a, Ted Kabaitis, especially, like the guy who runs Cora, he's like so smart and so good at this stuff. Like they kind of like experiment with all these things. And that's what allows them to get as deep of a knowledge as they have. So even if you're a white hat person listening to this, highly recommend it. Just still think about these things because your competitors will and they will use it against you. Just to add to that, I just put up a post on like the most difficult affiliate niches. And you can just go down the list right there. Like there isn't a single one of them that didn't mention PVNs. Like, so if you're going to niches, like you definitely need to know what you're up against. I want to talk a little bit about affiliates, but we're not going to talk too much about it because we already did a podcast together like a year and a half ago or something. It's podcast number 105, if you're looking for it, where we exclusively talk about affiliates. So the one thing that I, I checked the notes from last time and I was like, oh, there's one thing that I forgot about affiliate to ask is um, how you go about finding EFs you want to promote. Because, you know, I feel like, most people get stuck with Amazon, which Amazon is a great place to, you know, get started if you're starting, etc. But eventually, when you get experience, it's better to go with a different style of affair offers, I believe. And I know you believe that too. But many people get stuck into that phase of like, oh, how do you transition? And how do you find better offers? And how do you select your offers? So I want to talk to you about that and how you go about this yourself. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it starts with niche selection, right? Like, if you choose, I'm going to review sofas, like you're stuck with Amazon forever. Like that's just most like physical products, home products, stuff like that, blenders, you know, like you're just, sorry, you're married to Amazon. Like just, that's just the way it is. So I, I like niches that are like pretty high level, like health, wealth, relationships, that kind of stuff. And at that high level, you're going to find at least a portion of them, if not a majority of the offers that you can get are going to be off Amazon. Like, Info product type stuff is always off Amazon. The supplements, there's always alternatives off Amazon, that kind of stuff. So it starts with the niche selection. And then how do you find the good ones? Is simply just look at your competitors. Like if you wanna if you wanna see like what the best, I don't know, like keto supplement is, like you just Google like best keto supplement, see what's number one, right? And what you click, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's what's the number one, you know, product on that list? Other ways is, you know, like you can also there's crazy big groups on Facebook and social media right now that are talking about affiliate. You know, you can just ask or even ask like your friends that are into the niche, you know, like what are some awesome supplements for this or that, you know, what's the best uh, hosting plan that you guys are using? Like, and that's how you, where you find out, like, you know, like these are the quality products. Yeah. But it's actually a good one. Yeah. To do that. Even on Cora or something like you can get a lot of really good answers. this way. Yeah. Right. And then you probably do this too, Gail, like at a certain point, it's within your best interest to reach out to the affiliate managers and be like, we're, we're doing this much with you guys. You, it's also, you need to like set an SOP for yourself and a reminder to tell yourself to renegotiate all your affiliate commissions after a while. But when you're on the, on the email with them or when you're on the call with them, like also asking you know, like, what else you guys have, you know, we're, we're breaking into this niche and that niche, like what can you recommend? And you're going to get some awesome recommendations there. Yeah, and I think it's like a lot of it's just like do this because they don't want to talk to people, you know. <laughs> but there is a lot of value in doing this to the point where like some of our sites, 
where we were promoting like some pretty high paying offers, they were literally lending us their CRO experts, et cetera, to help us optimize our sites and so on. And they're willing to do that provided you have decent volume with them and you're talking to them because truth is most affiliates are, are weirdos and don't talk to people or like hard to interact with. And so if you just like show your human side and you show like, hey, we're just a serious business. We're here, like we treat this not like as a side gig, but it's something that we just want to work together. We just paid commissions for every sale we make. You'll be treated and given access, uh, treated really well and given access to a lot of company resources because it's, it's in their interest. So I would highly recommend people do that. I mean, for us, we've even met affiliate managers face-to-face, like flown across the world, et cetera, to meet face-to-face or like, you know, we're on a trip somewhere. It was just one flight away or something. And that has given us a lot of advantages. Like, and I'm telling you, when you develop that level of relationship with affiliate managers, it's like, I shouldn't say that, but they will let stuff slip that they shouldn't. That's going to give you massive competitive advantages because that's the way it works. When you build relationships with people, like eventually they just open up and they'll give you more information, more data, or sometimes even more like a better increase in commissions, that kind of stuff than they would to someone that doesn't do that stuff. And often when you reach higher volumes of sales, it's the best use of your time because if you can get like 20% more money for doing nothing more or by using their company resources it and you're already doing like, you know, to increase your revenue by 20% is like a five-figure number a month or something, then it's it's the best use of your time. You can do that in one day, which you usually can't do by just doing SEO when you're at a decent level already. Yeah, yeah. there's always like some kind of coupon code that you can get. You want to increase your conversions, get a custom coupon code. Or I mean, and one thing to keep in mind, like when you're registering for an affiliate program, these affiliate managers, they they have a range on like how much commission they can give. You're starting off at the bottom every time. So like that's always negotiable. We've got up to triple commissions on some offers actually. It doesn't work on every like don't ask triple. <laughs> don't ask triple right away. You won't get that. But I'm saying the range can be as big as this. Do you use pop-ups on your let's say review pages and uh, roundup reviews, etc.? Not using pop-ups right now. Okay, so here's one thing that has worked really well for us. When we got a coupon offer for a for product, right? Most people would just put it front end, etc. And just be like, oh, I'll get the discounted link, et cetera. We found on not every time, but very often worked better was to actually put the regular price and anchor the regular price on, let's say, the review table, like the actual text of the post and have an exit intent pop-up that would maybe pop 10 seconds in when you're on mobile that says, oh, time-limited offer, grab a 20% off coupon for this product, click here to claim the offer. And you just take over the whole screen. And you just It's literally just a, like an opt-in pop-up, just a button and you click and you click on the affiliate link. And that has converted better for us than just putting it everywhere on the page because it feels like a special offer of that day or something and you put a timer. Nice, know? nice. I'm going to give it a shot. Good tip. Yeah, I mean, try it. Like um, on some info product offers, we got up to like $3 per click or something, which was decent, I think. So yeah, that's basically it. Anything else that you want to say about affiliate? Because I just had that because I feel the, the other podcast, not much changed, to be honest. Right. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, like, if this is the first time you're you're ever hearing from me, like, you you might not have known that I'm all about like flipping. Like, I highly, really like the flip model for multiple reasons. But I think, like, Gail, you're getting into this too, right? For me, it just makes a lot of sense to free up resources, and I like big paychecks. Fair enough. Yeah, that's been nice. We've been doing that for like a year and a half now, and it's definitely increasing the cash flow of the business a lot when you flip rather than like holding forever. And the truth is, 
no matter how safe we are, your business is never 100% safe and you might lose the rankings you have, more competition might come, the affiliate offers, terms might change. A lot of things are dynamic. And so getting these exits essentially allow you to submit, like get a guaranteed win at the end, provided you sell the right time. So I think it's, I definitely think it's a good idea. The, the difference is that you buy sites and we start them from scratch. I think that's the main a big difference on how we run things. But like other than that, a lot of things kind of like run in parallel. And actually talking about projects, that's actually the last part of this podcast I wanted to talk about. It's like you run an absolute ton of stuff right now. Can you just make the list of everything you're involved in? Just so we get an idea. Okay. I got my website, diggitymarketing.com. So there's blogging about SEO there. Leadspring is my affiliate marketing agency where we're just building, ranking, flipping, monetizing affiliate websites. Authority Builders for Backlinks. The Search Initiative is a client-facing agency where we take on clients, do the SEO for them, teach the SEO at the Affiliate Lab, and then the Chiang Mai SEO Conference. So there it is. There is my, <laughs> that's the end of my life. Right there. Seven, seven or something? Like six, seven? It's something like that, yeah. For me, uh, I'm a weirdo too. I call that weirdos, but I'm I'm the weirdo, weirdest of weirdos. I really like focusing on just one thing. Usually I just pick something I'm going to work on and just ignore everything else, which is why emailing is me is pointless, as you know. And and so like when I see someone like you that's managing to like look at all these things at once and essentially do well with like all of them, I wanted to know how you split your time and how you manage to not go insane doing all of this, because I think that is a big aspect of your success is you're able to juggle with all these things and, and do them pretty well. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the one thing is that like a lot of these businesses are very synergistic with each other. You know, the, the blogging I do at Dignity Marketing helps generate leads for authority builders in the search initiative, you know, so they kind of feed off each other. So th there's that benefit in themselves, but in everything, like in every single one of those businesses, I'm not the sole owner. It's not, it's not like me that's responsible for every piece of it. So I do have strategic partners, partnerships with, with awesome people. Like I'm only working with freaking A players that, that can do their part of their job. But most importantly is having really, really good management-focused strategies, like top-down approaches, I only have five people reporting to me at one time, very efficient meetings. Everyone is very managed focused underneath me as well. So it's a pretty efficient process. And like a lot of the time, especially these days is like, I've given up the idea of like trying to be budget about the things I'm outsourcing. So like, you know, for example, the, the conference right now. So like, sure. Yeah. Like the past two years, like it has me been figuring out, you know, how to design the flyer and the schedule and all that kind of stuff. But this year it's just, okay, I got an expensive event planner, but I can completely say that like it's reduced 90% of the work involved in it. So uh, just being less stingy with pinching the, the pennies. And I think that's something to take, take home for a lot of like the people starting out and maybe even a lot of people at the intermediate stage with SEO is you're going to start off being very budget about everything like your content writers or and all your your staff like they're going to be like budget level from the philippines that kind of stuff and and you get used to that and you you start to set a standard for yourself that like i shouldn't outsource this more than ten dollars an hour or whatever that is but at a certain point your time is more valuable than the pennies you're saving right so you it is a good idea to get experts on there they're going to free up your time and allow you to get into other projects or excel more at the projects you want to double down on. I agree. We also had a podcast on like how much you should pay yourself. And we were explaining like how we split our money, basically. 
And we have this uh, profit-first approach. Basically, you just budget a percentage of what you make to each post of your business, including yourself, including how much you're going to pay yourself. And so we've been doing that, and we're like, oh, we're going to reinvest like 60% of what we make into the business or something like this. And then based on that, then we're able to like then have a quarterly planning and then just allocate that money to these things. And then when you can afford it, just put this money in there. But entrepreneurs are really good at getting scrappy and getting stuff started because that's how we all got there. We just didn't have a lot. We worked our asses off and find really good value on things and eventually just build something bigger than like big enough. And then eventually there's two types of people. There's the people that go one way where they just spend unlimited amounts of money and never end up making a profit. And there's the people that stay cheap and then never manage to grow their business, basically. And like the perfect place that we found was to try to be in between both. So that's that's the that's why the budgeting thing, where you wanna increase like you don't want to increase the size of your team too much, because for us we've tried that at some point we had like 40 plus staff and it was terrible. But you also want to start allocating more and more budget to all these things that are making you money to the point where you can hire better people, upgrade your team, et cetera. And that means for us, that meant a lot of turnover as well, because you're going to hire people that were great to get things like started at the beginning when you were micromanaging everything. But I don't know for you, but doing that transition from like micromanaging everything to actually giving responsibility to people, it's actually rarely the same people for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's how it went. But so that that is interesting. But like, what does an average day looks like for you? Like now that you're managing all this stuff, like how often do you talk to people? Like, do you look at every business every day? Do you have a day per business? Do you have like, how does that work? Yeah, it's interesting. So most of the time, like, I wish I could share my calendar right now. But so most of my days, like today, seven meetings today, and they could be half an hour to an hour long. And so it's like mostly management related stuff. So making sure that the people that are doing work for me is are actually able to do the things I want them to do and doing it well. So it's, it's mostly meetings. And then, you know, maybe like probably 10 hours a week is for myself. So figuring out new things, SEO testing, the stuff that either I haven't figured out how to get rid of or I don't want to get rid of it because it gives me fulfillment. Okay, cool. I like it. It's, I think it's really interesting because most people imagine they're just going to be doing the SEO themselves forever. But when we have people like you that are on a higher level, you end up realizing that the end game is learning management. And, and a lot of people don't want to hear that, including me, not that long ago. But the truth is, and I've discovered that the hard way, if you ever want to scale your business up, that's pretty much the only way. Otherwise, you're, you are your own bottleneck. Right. I, I think we have pretty similar personality types. Like I'm pretty introverted. I feel like you're on the same level of introvert as me. That being said all this management stuff like this is probably not the game of an introvert but do you find it fulfilling do you or do you find it like a little bit intensive and difficult uh, so it's so it all falls down to hiring right you need to find people that you can vibe with when you work with them because we've done a lot of hires where it ended up being extremely frustrating because as an introvert like you don't like to micromanage talk to people a lot have people talk to you a lot mostly like in like you know you're doing your seo testing and you get like five slack messages and you're like oh god like i just want to do my thing right now this is like i'm paying that person and i'm paying with my time as well but like i like people that are very smart and love to take charge for things basically and that's when this whole idea of upgrading that you mentioned kind of like falls in place like you will not get cheap people that can do that and i'm sure you pay your your top level people quite well to have them on that level that you want them to be it's like it's not as fulfilling as like i enjoy like 
playing with sites and doing all this stuff we talk about on Toyaka, I figured that out. But what I've found is that when I actually I'm able to put the right people in place, what this does is it gives me more time to do these things. And so it's fulfilling on that level. And also when you find people that get as interested in what we're doing as, as we are, it's also great to just have like, you know, we have these people that like read our blog and we talk to on Facebook, et cetera, but like we really can, we talk down to like open analytics, getting down into this, really getting nerdy about this stuff, et cetera. And having these discussions and talking about these things with your team and working on these things and seeing the progress together is also quite fulfilling to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree hundred percent. So yeah, it's, it's been a transition. Like it's, initially I was really against it. I was just like, just, I wanted to just keep my little, we had a big team as an agency. Like we did it wrong. It wasn't fun. And I didn't want to do it again. I think, I think it's been only like a year and a half where I've been really getting into managerial stuff really a lot more. Uh, and you can tell with the blog, et cetera, there's a lot more content coming out now, et cetera. Like it's starting to pay off finally, but it wasn't the case before. And a lot of the managerial stuff was, on, was falling on Mark and I was like the creative stuff was falling on me. But uh, I think that if you want to do something that's bigger than just paying for your bills and having still a nice lifestyle, like, you know, you can still make quite good money, much better money than most people with jobs without a big team. If you want to just attempt to get bigger than that, then you will have to look at this. So you just need to find a way to find joy in it, you know? Right. right. And shout out to Mark. Mark uh, recommended I read the book, Who, which is an absolute game changer in terms of, you know, like understanding people and hiring. So definitely take Mark's advice, read Who. It's an awesome book. Another thing I can recommend is, you know, I've said this before, get some kind of management training. There's a guy named Mad Singers who's like famous in the SEO industry for, for training SEOs, which is a, a beast in itself on how to, you know, be people persons check out his course or like what I'd recommend is like do his actual personal consultation. That was a huge game changer for me. We have a podcast with him as well. So people can go and look for it. You know, it's funny. It's like, it's not against maths, but because we talked about management, it was one of our least popular podcasts ever. And you know, when I talked about spinach at the beginning of the, of the podcast, (laughs) well, here we go. That's the piece spinach everyone needs to eat, but nobody wants to eat. There we go. If you want to pull ahead of everyone else, Start listening to this stuff. Start learning management because in the end, SEO is not rocket science. It's like it changes all the time, et cetera. There's ups and downs, like every business, et cetera. But to be honest, after a few years doing it, after a few years consuming like much content and a lot of people, like you will know more or less what you need to do. You need to create content. You need to get links to it. The way you get links, the way you create content changes a bit. But in the end, it's basically it, you know? The question is how you can do it, how efficiently you can do it, and how good your execution is, and how much it costs. This is where you pull ahead, and you achieve that through management. And that's the real game, I think, the real end game, at least, I would say. We're going to wrap it up now. We've been talking for a while, but I wanted to give a shout out to, I mean, we've mentioned a lot of the things you do already. Uh, Did you sell all the tickets for Chiang Mai SEO yet? Very soon. I don't know when this is going to air, but by August 1st, the early birds will be done and it will probably sell out before then it's getting real close i think there's like 100 tickets maybe 80 tickets left. okay well it's gonna air before that so it's gonna we're july 15 today uh it's gonna air not in one week exactly so just before that so if you want to come uh, i'll be there mark will be there a lot of like really cool speakers are coming i mentioned Karuf, who was on the podcast before and uh, has changed a lot of the things i did in seo this year 
Charles, who we had in the podcast, is also going to be there. Uh, Matthew Woodward is going to be there. A lot of people that you probably know and follow will be there. And overall, it's just, to be honest, like, man, we're speakers, but the, the best value of the conference is just meeting other people that do what you do. It's like, I'm, I'm just saying, go there to meet the people. Don't even come there for us. It's like, it's it's good party as well if you want to enjoy that. It's great if you've never been to Thailand. It's awesome place. You should definitely discover it. So if you want to learn more about that conference, come to uh, ChiangMaiSEOConference.com. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes as well if you didn't write that down properly, but it's it's been really cool last year and I'm sure it's going to be even better this year. And as I said earlier, first year in Chiang Mai SEO, you get engaged. Second year, you get married. And I guess you're going to be announcing that your wife is pregnant. So. <laughs> same, man, same. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. But anyway, Matt, thanks for taking this much time with us. I know you have a big schedule and we talked for a long time. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as well. I hope you enjoyed the chat. We really try to make these discussions like as when we talk in real life. And I think it's important for the audience. Like we don't try to cut and candy it and when we fail, we share it, etc. And that's one of the reasons why I like to have Matt over because he's the guy that would just tell you as it is and it's quite rare in this industry. So thanks for coming, Matt. Thanks for having me. Take care, brother. All right, that is it for our interview with my Digity guys. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed doing it. Once again, I want to thank Matt for coming and for being so open about everything he does, about all his projects, etc. I think that the industry needs more people like him and if you want to check out his stuff, you can check it out on digitymarketing.com. He also has that SEO conference in Chiang Mai in November, where I will be speaking along with several other pretty good SEO people. It does tend to lean towards gray hat stuff, but it can be interesting for you to attend anyway. Anyway, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe. We are on iTunes, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, pretty much any app that you might be using. We are there. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.